Hello, and welcome back to Learn It From a Layman. I am Carl Christensen, joined by Tim, the substitute chemistry teacher, Cox. That is much more credit than I deserve. <laughs> Haven't you seen Hook, Tim? When we've had discussions about the Hook. Yeah. The, uh, the scene where they're, the uh, insult scene with Rufio. His you first uh, substitute chemistry. He says, "Some substitute chemistry teacher." Yes. <laughs> it's all so. the negatives of a chemistry teacher with none of the competency. <laughs> yes, I've got two anecdotal um, pieces of uh, ex uh, experience with uh, chemistry teachers, but that, that'll come sometime during the podcast. Today, we're talking about the basics of chemistry. At least, hypothetically, we are. Um, Tim, I, you know, I thought of all the various guests we could have on to talk about chemistry, you know, all the knowledge we could bring to bear. And I thought, you know, what would be the best is Tim. And, and then he woke up and said, what have I done? <laughs> it's a, message a horrible already nightmare. <laughs> um, anyway, no, Tim will do a good job, um, I think. And if he doesn't. Yeah, I'll dock it from his pay. Refunds for everyone. Yes. <laughs> That's right. So. You can ask for your money back for this podcast. <laughs> um, okay. All right. Let's talk a little bit about chemistry here, Tim. Um, I, as I was telling my daughters today that I was doing a podcast on chemistry, they said, what is chemistry? How would you answer that question, Tim? Okay. Well. I would answer by saying, and I, I'm just going to start by by noting that I, my research for this was done almost exclusively with uh, crash course chemistry, which is a great um, like YouTube series. That there's a crash course stuff on different topics, history, and you know all sorts of topics, and they do a great job. So if you want to really learn and understand from people who actually know what they're talking about. I um I recommend you to uh, crash course Hank Green and John Green they do a great job. Anyways, so, All right, so two minutes and thirty seconds into the podcast, you have asked our listeners to leave. Yeah, please close this podcast now. <laughs> and <laughs> just that little X right there. Yes, yes, that's the one. And okay, <laughs> but uh, okay, yeah, chemistry, it, chemistry due to the the. Uh, vagaries of fortune you're stuck here with us so here we go chemistry is uh, an understanding of how our world works together and how the components of everything around us interact to form and make everything as it is um i don't know does that probably work okay uh, i'll keep like, going it here. sounds it sounds like a middle school teacher trying to get buy-in from their students you know <laughs> yes like overselling the to... subject so that it sounds interesting yes that's right this is all cool <laughs> now so um the chemistry it, what what it does at least um to understand it properly we need to understand that everything is made out of fundamental um fundamental building blocks and so you have um, yellow bile, black bile, blood, and phlegm. These are the four humors. And from, oh, oh wait, shoot. Sorry, I'm looking at the wrong page. Look at, a, uh, look at a, a variety of chemistry here that you haven't, that nobody's learned since the dark ages. 
That's right. <clears throat> no, and it is interesting actually to look at the history of chemistry. And sorry, but since history is my jam, I'm going to take that route. So chemistry has been attempted for millennia as people have tried to explain what uh, how the world works. And so the the four humors theory that I just uh, ex you know suggested that goes back thousands of years and people would they would observe different fluids and say well the things must be made out of these fluids interacting or whatever um later on uh in the middle ages you had alchemy which um uh, anyways alchemy you had also known as the good old days the, the so. good old days the, the, just the good old boys the um uh, sorry i just went to Waylon Jennings, That's, um, but it's never wrong to go to Waylon Jennings. Um, so awesome. alchemy was in the, I was saying this very broadly, in the Middle Ages, people believed that you could, you know, they, they saw that things happened with, with different substances that would interact, and um, they believed that you could make um, good things happen, and by good things, principally, we're talking about turning things into gold. And so there was these, you know, all of these um, tinkerers, experimenters would would try to turn things into gold. And in fact, the word alchemy, um, I looked it up. It's actually a compound. You have the Arabic word al, the, and then coming from the Greek word chemia, which means the art of alloying metals or um, or possibly uh, something poured out or flowing out like, you know, liquid or Anyways, so uh, this is where our word chemistry actually comes from. A chemist would have been someone who engaged in alchemy. Um, but uh, we had to stumble through a lot of poorly constructed false theories about how things worked. Uh, you know, and erroneous notions like, yeah, we can mix stuff together and turn it into gold, which is, of course, pure garbage. Um, there were other false theories like um, there's this concept called phlogiston, or um, this idea that you know, to explain how compounds changed after chemical reactions, well, there must be this unknown substance called phlogiston in there, and when we burn this substance, the phlogiston gets removed and it leaves a different substance, um, which is, of course, also um, garbage, but, you know, that's all they could figure out. But over time, as uh, people started putting observations together, we started to figure out more and more of what was actually going on. And we started to learn things like, for example, there's this guy called Lavoisier. I, sorry, my Francophiles. Um, he was killed in the French Revolution. But before he was killed, he started to um, who kind wasn't? of... The what? I, I said, because who wasn't? Yeah, who? That's right. It was all the rage. Um, at the time, and I mean rage in the literal sense, but um, yes. anyways. Okay, sorry. So so it, he started to um, put together all this research and kind of move us past all of these um, kind of bunk theories, and they started to observe things like, well, hang on, when something is burned in the open air, it becomes lighter, but when you burn it in a sealed container, the, the mass stays the same. Um, so they started to make uh, these realizations that it, over time turned into these laws, like the law of conservation of mass, which is 
um, and I'm reading here, um, matter can neither be created nor destroyed, though it can be rearranged. Mass remains constant in ordinary chemical change. Um, and so anyways, um, and one of the fundamental breakthroughs was the discovery of what came to be known as Brownian motion. This botanist um, observed that uh, the pollen, he was looking at pollen particles under a microscope, and he saw that even though there was nothing acting on them, they just jiggled and bounced around. And he's like, what's going on? Um, and, you know, he knew that something was happening. And it was actually Einstein in 1905 who, um, who mathematically uh, demonstrated that we could explain Brownian movement, this random jiggling movement of particles um, or of these uh, bits of pollen by assuming that there were microscopic particles flying around and bumping into the pollen. And as they bumped into it, they would make it jiggle and make it move. Um, and so from that, that was kind of the, the establishment of the atomic theory of chemistry, which is, is how we understand the world of chemistry today. And it has been very productive um, Keeping in mind, we're talking about theory as in a, a, a set of observations, um, disparate observations um, demonstrated in through um, experiment, not, you know, um, like a theory is in this is just uh, someone's whim or guess. So anyways, so atoms are the thing. And that's where we're going to start today, though. I suppose it's um, erroneous to say that we're starting at this point in the podcast. But um, so we're going to talk about atoms. We're going to talk about the periodic table of elements. And then we're going to talk about crazy um, chemical uh, stuff. That was Crazy chemical stuff. You can quote us on that. Yes, that's right. That will be on our merch. You can buy a T-shirt that says crazy chemical <laughs> stuff. Learn it from a layman. It's, it's going to be great. Crazy okay. and, and less crazy. The actual day-to-day -day interactions of the layman uh, that, that where chemistry actually comes to bear. So both. I'll notice that this is the second time you've you've used to bear the phrase, and every time you make me think of like a big grizzly bear, and um, which kind of makes it sound interesting, you know, like when you said the knowledge we can bring to bear, and um, you know, I just. I said that. I, yeah, or you, when you were like, we we could have gotten an expert, but we got Tim because we. Oh, oh, okay. But I'll just All say, right. if we're bringing knowledge to a bear, I don't want to be the one carrying the plate. Uh... Uh, well, um, I I would only I would be so lucky to have you bring anything to a bear, Tim. Yeah, it would actually be a real trip. Yeah, we can put that phrase okay. on our merch too. Coffee mug, yes, coffee so mug. Okay. All right. To bear. Um, okay. Back so to atoms. <laughs> okay. So uh, you probably know the basics, but just to make sure, everything is made of atoms, including the air you breathe, the chair you're sitting on, and you. Uh, atoms are composed of three fundamental particles. Uh, you have the proton, the neutron, and the electron. And you can think of atoms probably the best way to visualize them as far as I understand is you've got a mass, a clump in the middle, 
of protons and neutrons, and then you have these much, much smaller electrons that orbit around each clump. Uh, strangely, the, you know, physically, it would probably be akin to a solar system. Um, but uh, of course, the interactions are very different. Uh, when we talk about atoms, we have to talk about charge. Uh, when we say charge, we're talking about positive or negative. Um, and if you're, when we think of charge, you can think of a magnet. One end of a magnet is positive, the other end is negative. And the positive and negative charges attract each other. If you put a positive end of a magnet next to a negative end, they will stick together and attract each other. Um, a negative on a negative, they will repel. So you have positively charged protons, pro, you know, positive, um, are in the nucleus. Uh, by the way, much more massive than electrons. I, I think the number is something like 1,800 times larger or more massive. Um, and then you've got um, the negatively charged electrons that orbit around uh, the, the proton. Neutrons have no charge, and, but they are still important. Um, without neutrons, an atom wouldn't be able to exist because all of the protons would not be able to pack it in together. They would repel each other. So the neutrons give us just enough, I guess, buffering to help the protons stick together. Um, they are held together by the strongest force in nature, the strong nuclear force. Um, and, um, but anyways, um, enough on that. Now, uh, what, how many protons are in the atom is the most identifying uh, piece of information about an atom. The number of protons determines what an atom is. In other words, what element it is. You know, is it carbon? Is it hydrogen? Is it boron? Uh, change the number of atoms or of protons in the nucleus, and you've changed the what what that uh, atom is. Incidentally, this is very hard to do and very rare. Like um, the only off the top of my head, which conceivably isn't very much, but I think this is probably uh, good information. Wait, was that a short? Was that a short joke? <laughs> <laughs> Such a trap. Go take some knowledge to a bear. <laughs> um, the, uh, the, the only times I can think of where a, an atom might, the composition might be changed would be in a, a nuclear explosion or, um, or reaction or in the center of the sun, which I guess would be a, a nuclear reaction. The, by definition, a nuclear reaction. But basically, the only places where there's enough power to make a, to change an atom would be in the intense pressure and heat inside a star, or in a um, in a, a nuclear um, reaction, like a like a nuclear bomb, or say a nuclear the the nuclear fission of a of a um, Sorry, of a like a nuclear power plant where you're splitting atoms, um, and and in in all these cases there's an, an incredible amount of energy involved. Um, for most situations, including all these situations that you are going to see um, face to face, I hope um, protons stay the same; they don't change. Um, yeah. So that's sorry. Oh, sorry. 
just to throw in real quick, I a call back to our uh, podcast on quantum physics. I think so. Peter, who we had on at the time, a cousin of ours as well. Um, he knows real stuff. We've. <laughs> you say he knows real stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, we're talking about the fun, the forces of the fundamental forces, the weak force, the strong force. Um, there were more than that. Um, <laughs> but the strong force is the one that binds together the uh, the nucleus. And it's called strong for a reason, which is what you're just talking about. Like, it's super hard to break a nucleus up. So, um, or just... to pack more into a nucleus, either way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think gravity would be one of the other fundamental forces, right? And... Uh, that sounds right. I'm looking right now. You can continue. And uh, now I want to get them all. How many are there? Electromagnetic force? I don't know. Uh, okay. Ooh. What if we did um, this. like we made T-shirts? Gravity, like, strong, weak, and electromagnetism. We got them, Tim. We got them. All right. Cool. Let, let's make a T-shirt and like on the sleeves, like pointing at the biceps, it'll have an arrow saying strong force. Huh? I think that's yeah. some good merch. Nope. Okay. <laughs> I think you were going something somewhere with this. Uh, before. It's going somewhere real. Okay, yes. So, um, <laughs> where was I going? We were Adam's strong force. Nuclear. Adam's nucleus. And you're talking about the, uh, uh, you were about to move to the electrons. Yes. Okay. So, um, so uh, as far as chemistry goes, uh, not much action in the proton. It's just sitting there. Um, but the electrons, there's a lot more that goes on there. So, uh, electrons bring balance. Um, to an atom, right? You're, um, they, they have the negative charge bouncing at the positive charge of the proton, but electrons can bounce around. They can get knocked off. Um, a, a, an atom losing an electron doesn't change its, um, what it is. It doesn't change its constitution to a different element. It just loses a charge. Um, so it might be, uh, if it loses an electron, now it's got a slightly positive charge. If it gains an electron, it might have a slightly negative charge. Um, and uh, uh, please take this with a grain of salt and know that this is uh, oversimplified knowledge from my AP chemistry class that I took more than a few years ago. <laughs> what, um, three, three then? Four, a few is three. three at least three. Four, saying and four years ago, more, yeah. If we presume that the maybe is a lie. <laughs> um, so the um, some elements based on the, their composition might be tend to be positive or might tend to be negative and also so what happens is um, everything wants to kind of achieve balance that's what um, you know everything will tend to to um, lean towards is the wrong phrase but they'll tend to uh, move towards being balanced. So a proton with a slightly positive charge, say it's missing an electron, or and a proton, or excuse me, an atom with a slightly positive charge and an atom with a slightly negative charge, um, they they both are kind of seeking that that balance, that uh, neutral. And so, just like if you put two magnets in a box and shake them together, they're eventually they're the 
positive and the negative will will eventually join together. Um, well, same thing with a, two atoms that have maybe a, a slightly positive, slightly negative charge. If you put them together, they will kind of stick together. And what happens is those um, the the um, well, let's just leave that. That's probably all I'm qualified to explain. But because one has a positive charge, I mean, some would argue charge, you weren't qualified. Sorry, some would say you weren't qualified to explain that either. So. That's true. But as long as I keep on talking, those people will be harder to hear. <laughs> so anyways, um, and, and so what happens is atoms will tend to bind together. This is why um, you'll find, for example, an oxygen atom will often, you know, not all, you're not often going to see it just around by itself, but it'll often be bound together with two hydrogen atoms. Um, and those hydrogen atoms will kind of stick onto the oxygen atom and they'll kind of balance each other out and you'll create, you'll have, end up with a stable, um, and, and this is where, so if elements are pure atoms, so if I got a whole container full of pure oxygen, that's just the element of oxygen, um, or, a, you know, a, you know, a th whole thing full of pure, um, mercury, that's just mercury. But um, when atoms join together, we call those molecules. And so, for example, two hydrogen atoms joining together with a, an oxygen atom, we have a molecule of dihydrogen monoxide, um, which is commonly referred to as water, of course. Um, and so understanding how these um, molecules are made is, is a big part of chemistry. And... Uh, there's a lot of math that's involved in, in kind of explaining because you, you're working with numbers here. For example, the, the number of protons and the number of electrons tells you, you know, how much of a positive or negative charge it has and, and you can addition and subtraction. And then, you know, when you, anyways, so chemists, a lot of what they do is, is studying how, um, how those, uh, bindings work, the the composition of all the things around us. Um, okay, pausing to take a breath and also check and see if there are any glaring gaps in what I've explained. No, I don't, not yet. I mean, well. <laughs> Wait for I it. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> glaring gap incoming. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, so are we talking about the periodic table soon? Because I had a couple things to mention about, um, isotopes um let's and, let's do it and such let's talk about the periodic table of elements okay and and okay. again i just really want to say that a lot of my information came from crash course chemistry so you know um you'll, you'll hear it better explained there but anyways periodic table of the elements and here i would be remiss not to direct you to randall monroe's book what if uh random randall monroe is the uh the creator of the xkcd I think that's saying it right online comic strip which is kind of like stick figures but doing funny stuff and he's also very well educated and so he um uh yeah xkcd that's right um he does these kind of cerebral and highly educated comics and but anyways he has this great book called what if it's um the subtitle is uh, serious scientific answers to absurd hypothetical questions or something like that. 
And one of them is this. So if you really want to learn about the periodic table of the elements, you should go and check out this book and look at the chapter where he answers the question. Someone asked, what if you built a periodic table of the elements uh, where you built a wall where each brick was a, a brick made out of that um, element? That element? Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's a real fun <laughs> read. It's a <laughs> um, so, but but anyways, uh, so let's talk about what this periodic table of the elements is. So first of all, as uh, chemists and scientists started to get a grip on how the world is composed, they started to realize that um, things could be classified. For example, that some elements were lighter than others, and and some elements reacted with specific others in certain ways, and. Um, to make a very long story short, it determined that um, they, we have classified now um, each element by its atomic number, which is the number of protons in that element. And so if you look at, if you, you can just Google periodic table of the elements, and if you look at um, a picture one, you'll see that in the upper left you have the number an item with the number one. And then in the upper right, you have an item with the number two in the corner. And then you go back to the left, uh, and it, it just reads from left to right, top to bottom. The next box is three, and the next box is four, then five, then six. And they're, they're all in order. We've categorized all of the elements, at least all the elements that we've been able to um, observe and in a, a few cases theorize. Um, some of these elements are vanishingly rare, <laughs> but you know we know they exist in theory because you know there's got to be some... Um, number. In fact, it's kind of a cool story, which I don't really know, but I'll share anyways. The because uh, that's the, what we do here. That is exactly what we do. <laughs> the um, I, before the periodic table of the elements was kind of completed and filled in. Um, scientists, uh, I have to look it up, but uh, there was a scientist who was basically kind of figuring out that hmm, there's a pattern here and was able to predict elements and predict, you know, there's going to be an element that probably has these uh, characteristics and that will have this composition, um, you know, by following these patterns. So it's pretty cool. And then over time, as we've been able to experiment more and observe more and, uh, you know, we, we have discovered these, you know, these new elements and filled in this periodic table of the elements. Um, I think you might be, re no, I don't know for sure, but you might be referencing Russian chemist Dmitry Mendeleev, who is credited with creating the modern periodic table because yeah, he left gaps for elements that uh, weren't discovered yet, but he knew that there was a pattern to how the, the elements were or ordered. So. Yes, yes, that that's right. I was, I was just thinking, Dimitri Mendeleev. Yes, the good old Dimitri. The um, <laughs> you, you and your Russian buddies talk about Dimitri all the time. Yeah, well, we miss him. We miss him. You know, he was great at a party. At, uh, but he was always he died kind of a hundred twenty years ago. So it's been a while. It's been a while. But he hasn't. It, it was great to have him at a party, but you didn't want him to set up the party because he would set up the chairs, but he would leave all these gaps. And it's like, Dimitri. And he's like, nope, somebody's going to sit there. And we're like, okay, Dimitri. And sure enough, someone would arrive and they'd sit there. And uh, yeah, so, okay. okay. I think we got off a bit. Should we get back on the periodic table Let's of elements? It. 
Let's get on it. Okay, so you have done your homework and you're now looking at a periodic table of the elements. So um, you'll notice that, okay, the letters in each box, uh, those are the, uh, the shorthand names of the elements. So that number one box, H, is for hydrogen. And then the number two box in the upper right, HE, that's for helium and so forth. Lithium, beryllium, uh, and uh, I'm going to stop now because um, is it four <laughs> is number five boron. What's because, the B for? Because this it, is learned from a layman. And baloney. Layman is not an element, it turns out. <laughs> I was just mumbling, sneezing or something. So hydrogen has one proton, helium has two. Uh, fun fact for you. The reason why the sun feels nice and warm when you go outside is because it is busy taking hydrogen atoms and squishing them together into helium atoms. This is called fusion, where you fuse two atoms together and the, the vast energy released is what powers the heat of the sun, which blasts through the, you know, the space of our solar system and in, what, six minutes? Is it six minutes or eight minutes that it takes light to arrive? It's eight minutes. Eight minutes. Yeah, eight. I haven't timed it with a stopwatch, but someone did. Well, I did yesterday. Really? Oh, cool. Yeah. It's uh, what you do for eight minutes while you waited. <laughs> uh, I read about the periodic table. Oh, that's with cool. Demi with Dimitri. <laughs> with with Dimitri. Good. Tell him I say hi. <laughs> um. So so. Anyways, uh, the sun is turning hydrogen into helium. Uh, incidentally. That is one of the um, types of energy that creates a, uh, a nuclear bomb. Um, there are two types of atomic bombs. Um, the ones that were dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima in World War II are what we call uh, fission bombs, where they split um, atoms. Uh, they, they took big, huge uh, atoms with big, huge um, protons, and then they, they arranged it so that they could shoot a particle i think it's a proton right or is it a neutron i don't know but they would shoot particle 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 essentially shooting particles into the um into the cores of these protons and or these nuclei and split them up and then they would um those pieces the shrapnel of that explosion would um penetrate other um nuclei and you'd have a chain reaction and kaboom um, but they actually discovered a more powerful um, type of nuclear um, reaction was when they could arrange for that to happen around a core of a, a um, element like hydrogen. So a hydrogen bomb or a fusion bomb, the, that um, huge nuclear explosion would force inward and then cause all those hydrogen atoms to fuse and turn to helions, which would result in an even bigger explosion so you have now um modern nuclear weapons are capable of doing many times releasing many times the energy of the original um uh, nuclear bombs you know from the 1940s and 50s um uh, sorry a little little side note there there that's chemistry for you it's crazy stuff when i said we're going to talk about crazy chemistry i was not joking um okay so in the periodic table of the elements that Number in the upper left-hand corner tells you the um, the it's the atomic number, um, and that's not going to change. Uh, hydrogen is always going to have a one. Helium is always going to have a two. Um, uh, iron is always going to have a twenty-six. 
and so forth. Um, there are other numbers there that I'm not going to talk about too much, but you get um, so, so well, maybe I'll let you start on this, Carl, talking about isotopes. Yeah, well, so an isotope is the um, so like Tim talked about already inside uh, the nucleus of an atom, you have protons and neutrons, protons being how we're talking about the periodic table, the atomic number. That's fundamentally how you define an element. But the neutrons, um, well, it turns out there can be a varying number of ne neutrons uh, for an element. So um, if uh, a atom that has the same number of protons has one more neutron um, or one less neutron than uh, the, the first one I observed, uh, those are different uh, isotopes. So those are different uh, types of the same element with just a different atomic mass. Um, and uh, my understanding, so on the periodic table, we have a way of measuring that, and that's just, uh, where, where does that number show up? It's um, like underneath the, like yeah. kind of the bottom center, right? At least on the one I'm looking at. Right. Yeah, yeah. And that will be more or less double, uh, and sometimes, yeah. anyway, more or less double what the atomic number is, because neutrons are usually clustered about, uh, once again, my understanding, my layman understanding about the rate of the, the number of protons will be about the number of neutrons you have, but about is the key word because some have more, some have significantly more. And that, so the you can see that all of those numbers in the bottom, as you're looking at the atomic mass, are it's an, uh, a decimal number. So why isn't it a clean number? It's, there's no part of a neutron. Well, that's because the isotopes exist out in the uh, the wild and nature and and uh, so they count they they average the uh, number of neutrons that we see per element um, in the uh, I, I don't know exactly how they come to these numbers but the, it's an average number of neutrons per iso per the uh, frequency of the isotope uh, for that element and uh, yeah right Tim and yeah, and and exactly. So if you were to gather up all of the the, the explanation that I heard, um, it, it, you know, if you were to gather up all the silver that existed in the world and take the average count the the you know protons and neutrons and then take the average, then that's the number that you would get. And it may not always be exactly um, double the atomic number because so so like the in silver for example, there are um, you know, I think the most common isotopes have 49 and, um, or, or no, maybe like 62 neutrons or something. It's like, it's like, a, not the number you would expect. It's not exactly, uh, 47, but, um, so anyways, it just the, because of how these, um, atoms are structured, you happen to have some, um, Anyways, it's just a, it's not random, but an un, the numbers don't always line up exactly how we would expect. And so you get these average right. numbers. And, and so, yeah. it's possible that an actual chemist or, uh, you know, nuclear physicist or whatever would uh, actually be able to expect what the atomic number is uh, based on, you know, actual principles of physics and chemistry. But the layman 
just looks at the number and says, well, that's almost double or that's well over double um, for the atomic mass. But um, yeah, the number of the neutrons in the nucleus of an element is variable. And that's what an isotope is. Yeah. Now, if you look at your uh, periodic table of the elements, you'll see um, there are certain clusters and categories, and it might be color-coded or grouped. You'll see lines and so forth. Um, that's because in, there are certain patterns that go on. For example, if you look at the far right, you'll see the, the very rightmost column is a, is a stack of elements. They call them the noble gases. Um, and these have some traits in common. They're all gases, um, at least under normal conditions, and um, they are all also very non-reactive. So um, these are actually useful in, uh, for example, if, if a chemist wants to create an environment where they, that, let's say they're dealing with a highly sensitive or very reactive substance, and so they want to make sure there's nothing that touches it, that's going to set it off or cause a chemical reaction or explosion, rapid oxidation or whatever, where oxygen binds to it. Oxygen is one of those elements that is very reactive. <clears throat> um, they, they might bathe it in a noble gas um, because the noble gas is because of how their, their atomic structure, um, they will tend to neither lose nor gain electrons. And so they're not going to react um, to other stuff around them. Um, there are other uh, metals are another grouping and metals will tend to have um, so if you that's kind of in the middle um, of the atomic uh, or the periodic table of the elements so you, you'll see for example iron cobalt nickel copper zinc and so forth uh, and me the metals will all tend to share characteristics too and this all goes back to what's going on at the atomic level because they have this certain number of protons and electrons um, this tends to happen. I won't get into it this time, but there are different like rings, I guess, or shells. Is that or, orbitals? Carl? Huh? Yeah, yeah, shells or orbitals. Yeah. There you go. Um, and and a certain amount of electrons can fit in the lowest tiered orbit or shell, and then a certain number of electrons can fit in the next one up. And so, if you have if those shells or orbits are filled perfectly. Uh, which I believe is the case in the noble gases, then it, the, that atom is not going to be too inclined to take on more electrons or lose any because it's got a pretty balanced state. But let's say you've got just one extra electron floating in that last orbit, that uh, that's atom is going to tend to maybe lose that. Or let's say it's just shy, one electron shy of filling an orbit, then that atom is going to really want to fill that. And so um, it's going to attract, uh, you know, certain other um, atoms. And, and that's why some elements are quite reactive and, um, you know, tend to, you know, and, and I gave oxygen yeah. as one example. Um, right. And I did you already, so you, I think you were, I mean, you already talked about oxygen and, and H2O, but in the, in the case of uh, orbitals, it makes sense as far as the number of electrons. So the, if you look at your periodic table and see oxygen, you're looking at an atomic number of eight. So that's eight protons, which means that, uh, we'll talk about ions in a minute, but, uh, you know, your, your normal, um, oxygen atom will have eight electrons and the orbital, the first orbital has two slots. And then the next one has eight. 
Um, and so with eight electrons, you have um, the first orbital full for a shell, and then you have six in the next one. So it would very happily take on two extra. And it turns out hydrogen <laughs> has one little element, uh, one little electron, one proton, one electron, just swinging around around out there. It's very abundant. And so uh, it loves to bind two of uh, these hydrogen atoms with an oxygen um, it's to fill that second shell. And that's why we get water, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, I like water. Water's good. <laughs> who doesn't? Who, who doesn't? I, I've met people. <laughs> um, and uh, and just uh, so these these that would be called a reaction, right? A chemical reaction. The two come together, and something new is formed. Water is a substance quite different from hydrogen or oxygen. Those two are gases, water's a liquid, um, very different properties. So when uh, chemical reactions happen, the um, although the atoms themselves are not, you know, they, they haven't been changed, it's still oxygen and it's still hydrogen, but the, um, the compound uh, changes, can, and it can change quite drastically. And, so sometimes this can happen spontaneously without any extra um, uh, help. Um, sometimes chemical reactions can be caused to occur by adding energy. So, um, and again, oversimplifying here, but uh, a chemist wants to get two um, elements to, to combine or to react. It may have to um, add heat and that heat um, you know, provides the energy needed for, say, a certain number of electrons to jump ship or for the, um, I suppose jump ship isn't necessarily the right thing, but for them to, to combine um, the, or, or to, to say, rise a level in, uh, sorry, to jump from one shell to another. Is that, sorry, Carl, did I phrase that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 and and as, as they jump from level to level, they emit um, radiation, light. Um, yeah, so we can we can talk about that in just. But can I can I say one or two more things about the periodic table? Yes. Okay, so just generally, um, I like to uh, understand. So the the name of the periodic table comes from uh, you know the uh, the fact that they are in a they're in periods so the elements are listed in order atomic number Tim said that the elements in the same row are the same period um and so thus periodic so and, and that's once again the uh, a nod to the fact that there's a particular structure for these as determined by the physics of the atom but um if the periodic table we have different periods those are the rows and then the columns uh, also, so the as as Tim said, there are different there are different groups of um, atoms in the periodic table. So the rows are, are one way to group them, and they have particular um, characteristics based on that on their period on their row, and then they have uh, particular um, uh, chemical properties because of their column as well. Um, and. Oh, yeah, so column is called group. Um, 
so uh, there are a lot of ways to to understand the the periodic table as far as the the structure of the table and the orbitals of the electrons and that's why like tim said why particular groups um particular periods are more likely to interact in particular ways not only because of the protons but also the, the electrical the electron orbit uh, orbitals um then have uh, a influence on the number of uh, uh the way that the the atoms react uh whether or not they're prone to uh, reactions in, in the wild like or whether or not they need energy or heat or pressure a lot of it in order to create a chemical reaction once you get that heat that pressure and that um energy added to the atoms to, to the equation uh that's when you can break some of these uh weak bonds of uh, strong force bonds inside the atoms or molecules and create new elements and new um new chemicals new molecules and have we talked about molecules have you given the definition and you've talked about molecules have we we defined the word molecule. I, I, I maybe explained the word molecule, which I, I would explain as a, uh, a, a a number of atoms combined together, right? Right. Probably yeah, exactly. All right. Yeah. Anyway, just okay. So we talked about isotopes. Were you planning on talking about ions? Let's talk about them. Oh, okay. but also a, a quick on the, while we're on the table of the elements, the um, just noting that um, most of the um, elements that you see in the periodic table of the elements, you won't encounter too much of them uh, in your daily life. The um, you know the, in the top you know four or five rows, um, you, some of those are are quite common, of course, but um, many of them are quite rare. Many are quite poisonous or radioactive. And especially as you get into the bottom rows, those larger nuclei start to things start to get a little dicey. Um, and a lot yeah, actually, of them I did have only been created in the lab, in like labs or. Right. Oh, sorry. Go for it, Carl. Right. No, no, no. And that's that's right. The 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 last last three elements that because there are still elements that there were uh, elements added. I think like six or seven years ago a couple elements were added to the periodic table and yeah that's so we can we know what elements should exist and so in the lab we can create these high pressure high energy high heat scenarios where we can slam two nuclei together and if they we can get them to if we as if i had a role in this as, uh, if the the chemists or physicists can get the uh the, the the nucleus to stick together to bond together for I'm sure a particular amount of time um, I don't know what that is that then we can say okay that's an element um, and that's that's how but, chemists and other scientists will flex on each other though uh, you know, high school athletes it's like getting the state championship but uh, chemists it's like I made a new element what what you want <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you should. Uh, I, th now, I think you get your element that you get to name it after yourself, right? I mean, that's just Probably. that's the way it should be. Right, um, put it up for bid, you know. So. <laughs> right. Let's make some money here. Um, okay, but By the way, before. You, oh, it's a you, you buy in now. As soon as uh, Learn It From a Layman gets naming rights to an element, you will be first in line. Yeah, 
and we also have beachfront property in Nebraska to sell to you. So it's very nice. Um, Sweet. <laughs> okay, well, you mentioned before we move on to ions. I, the other thing I wanted to talk about was radioactivity, and you already started talking about radioactivity. So, in the form, uh, in, in chemical terms, Tim, do you have, uh, or do you want me to talk about what radioactivity is? Well, I'll start us off, and then you can kind of polish it up. So radioactivity okay. is when crazy elements do bad things and make your teeth fall out. Um, there crazy no. elements <laughs> do bad things. So I'm, well, I'm taking notes. Um, yeah, that's right. Write this down. So, so um, certain, uh, you know, some elements are, like I said, very stable. You know, you got your noble gases and whatnot. They're, they're just sitting there. Um, some elements are very unstable and will uh, will actually be shooting out um, and emitting the, um, the like um, uh, sorry what's the word new uh, is nucleons okay. the right word but like they're they're shooting out uh, little pieces of atom and that can cause damage um, okay that's my less than learn it from a layman standard explanation now you add clarity and dignity to it <laughs> well yeah so reactivity i mean the basic like definition is the release of energy from the decay of the nuclei um and so just like you said like the the, the larger the um nucleus is the more likely it is to be radioactive and that i believe once again, my layman understanding is purely based on the fact that um, what what bonds together the nucleus, as we said in the beginning, is a strong force. But the strong force is only um, a is really only effective in in immediate vicinity. Like you have to be in contact with each other. So with a large nucleus, when you have you know eighty uh, protons and a hundred neutrons. Well, we, it's just the strong force isn't as all-encompassing as it is in the smaller nuclei, and so some amount of the um, of this nucleus wants to split off and 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 shoot off, yeah, nucleon, whatever, a, a neutron, some part, and, and, and energy so goes what with it. I'm reading here, Carl, it says it emits a negative. Too many neutrons in a nucleus lead it to emit a negative beta particle. Particle which changes one of the neutrons okay. into a proton. Too many protons in a nucleus lead it to emit a positron, a positively charged electron, changing a proton into a neutron. And too much energy okay. leads the nucleus to emit a gamma ray, which discards great energy without changing any of the particles. Um, too much mass leads it to emit an alpha particle, discarding four heavy particles, two protons, and two neutrons. So I guess radioactive Various. emissions could be a few different things, but in any case, it's bad for you. <laughs> right and uh yeah if you well i mean yes yes it is don't uh don't go and you know nuke yourself um but the um you know radioactive so the the energy that's emitted is, is the radioactive stuff right that's the uh um the, says the radioactivity is the act of emitting radiation spontaneously so um 
and these large molecule molecules. I mean, we know that right, uranium, right, is is highly radioactive, and that's why when you're talking about nuclear fission, um, you have to be very careful because radioactive material, as Marie Marie Curie could tell you, is not something you want to deal with all the time. So, uh, yeah. I, I, that's a good layman, I think, basic understanding. Maybe we can have a full podcast on radioactivity, but uh, I guess just basically radioactivity is um, some some amount of uh, decay of the nuclei and the uh, energy emitted from, like you said, in various types of particles or whatever, but that's the uh, this unstable nucleus um, emitting radiation. Incidentally, that's happening all sorts in the sun, and so the sun is just beaming out radiation. So uh, the reason we're not all getting like radiated to death is because the Earth has a magnetosphere. Um, the, the Earth's magnetic uh, charge it creates actually this giant, um, you know, it's a giant magnet, and that magnetic. Um, it creates this kind of magnetic shield that um, shields us from the radiation of the sun. Uh, this is one of the reasons why we will never terraform Mars, because Mars does not have a strong magnetosphere. And um, so any uh, anything Wait, going... Actually, actually, oh, Tom, I did yesterday. Yeah, all my word. Well, I changed everything. <laughs> Shoot. Wait, wait, did you do that before or after you timed the sun? Yeah, well, Dimitri and I had the nice discussion during that time, and he gave me some ideas. Um, uh, it all makes okay. sense now. <laughs> uh, we have a podcast about terraforming Mars, though, Tim. Oh, yeah, that's so. right. That's probably where I like, yeah, okay, huh. Wow, what a good okay. podcast. Anyway. We should listen to ourselves more. Yes, magnetosphere. Yes, we should. Well, no, we shouldn't. Nobody should. <laughs> but you should, dear listener. Okay. okay, let's let's wrap up with a couple more things. So we've got um, uh, we we've talked about molecules. We've talked about uh, radioactivity. Let's talk uh, just briefly about what an ion is, and then we can talk about just some cool chemical reactions that exist out there that we've seen, that the layman has experienced. All right, so ion, If uh, this is most important when you're playing baseball. Uh, as any good coach will tell you, while you're batting, you need to keep your eye on the ball. Um, Tim. <laughs> and that was pretty Gosh. good, don't you think? Okay, if you're not watching, Carl is rubbing his, like, the bridge between his nose, which is a sign that I have just told a very good joke. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> okay. Maybe um, in in the interest of information. So an atom is an electrically neutral, you know, uh, at least in theory, um, in electrically neutral with an equal amount of protons in the nucleus and electrons orbiting around. Uh, an ion means is an electrically charged atom um, particle. So it's got an imbalance either. It's got more protons than electrons or more electrons than protons. And of course, as you can probably infer from everything we've been talking about here, that um, imbalance is very significant in how those element, that element will, or that particle will behave and how it will react to other particles around it. 
right yeah i mean that sounds like a great explanation just um i think it's important to, for the layman to understand ion is uh not a baseball term so uh, you know i guess technically <laughs> not <laughs> uh yes okay so ions yeah they they interact differently with uh with well, with everything i mean obviously as soon as you change the charge of a particle the uh, way it interacts chemically is going to be different. so um and, and there are oh sorry go for it i was just gonna there are, are types of atoms that are more likely to become ions because they have you know like i said like one or two uh electrons in their outer shell right um what, what i was reading right before the podcast is that um Ionic, it says ionic compounds usually form with a metal reacts with a non-metal. Huh. The metallic atoms lose an electron, becoming cations, and the non-metallic atoms gain the electron, uh, becoming anions. Which makes sense because cats are a positive influence. That's not true. Nobody thinks that. I yes, sir. That, okay, raise your hand if you like cats. Good. Let's see, the there's no hands being raised on the podcast. Nobody on the That's podcast. Look, <laughs> go to YouTube. Look right now. There's nobody raising their hand. Whatever. Go to YouTube and look up cute kitten videos, and then let's see who's <laughs> raising their hands. <laughs> okay. Oh, and, right. and add, um, adding to that, the salts are neutral combinations of ions, like sodium, a positive ion, and chloride with a negative ion. So. Okay, let's let's talk. Let's finish up the podcast with a couple. Oh, I did have the anecdotes I wanted to share about my chemistry teacher experiences. So, Tim, while I'm sharing these, you can uh, come up with your examples of chemical reactions in the wild that the layman is interested in. If you can uh -oh. come up with something interesting, <laughs> first first for everything, first time <laughs> for everything. Okay. Um, the <laughs> okay so. Chemistry teachers matter. Even so, now you've been with us almost an hour and listening to Tim. Um, Tim is generally a good teacher. Now, whether or not he's a good chemistry teacher is highly questionable. Well, yeah. Well, it's not really questionable anymore, is it? Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> Essentially questionable an hour ago, and now the answer is ha uh, known. Um, anyway, my dad, who was um, generally an English professor. Um, the near the beginning of his career for those all of you english majors out there uh turns out getting an english uh teaching position in university is uh probably approximately like winning the lottery um so my dad was teaching uh, he was a, a te chemistry teacher at a high school <laughs> because his minor was in chemistry because what english majors minor is not chemistry um yeah. But your dad and could so, have taught pretty much anything. <laughs> <laughs> I come to think of it, actually, it may have been a major. He may have double majored in one I of them. I think that's right. I think chemistry. he, yeah, like had, was majoring in it, and then he switched at the last minute and got a doctorate in in English. In English, that's correct. Yeah. Anyway, so um, he was obviously very good. We had chemical chemistry sets when I was a kid, all that kind of, you know. Um, so there are good chemistry teachers out there. Um, and then I was taking um, AP biology back in, this is obviously high school, and um, we had a great AP 
biology teacher, but he got in a very serious motorcycle accident and almost died and was out of uh, commission for multiple months. And for those of you that have taken AP courses and or are currently taking AP courses, you can't go without a teacher, without a qualified teacher in an AP course for long. And that's where my other, so they brought over a sub that generally subbed for chemistry and he started trying to teach biology, AP biology, and it was a train wreck. It was, I mean, it was eighth grade biology and it, anyway. <clears throat> and then they brought over the AP chemistry teacher to teach AP biology because they knew that we needed whatever help we could get. And he was very, very good and very qualified because it turns out biology has a lot of chemistry in it. So um, there, the, the quality of your understanding of chemistry often has to do with the quality of the teacher. So we apologize. That's right. Don't judge chemistry on our account. <laughs> Um, okay, let's talk about a couple of reactions and then we'll wrap up here. Tim. Okay, my reaction is going to be fire. So, okay. when you light something on fire, it is undergoing a chemical reaction. And um, in short, it's the um, whatever is being burned is uh reacting with the oxygen in the air and the heat is causing it to to um so um stuff is combining and then um so a lot of what is created is um, it dissipates into the air we see it as smoke and then the ashes are the substance that remains but that's a chemical reaction so you start with one thing say a piece of wood and you end with another thing a pile of ashes and a cloud of uh, smoke composed of lots of different stuff. But um, the, the key uh, component in that, uh, in that reaction is the oxygen. Without oxygen to fuel that reaction, to, to um, continue that reaction, the fire stops. And that's why if you throw a wet blanket on a fire, it will soon stop burning because it's... Um, you know, you've deprived it of oxygen, which it needs to make the chemical reaction happen. So there you go. Fire. Fire. Very nice. OK, I've got two. Um, so one is the one that we experience all the time, literally. And at this moment, you are doing it. And that is O2 to CO2. And that is respiration, right? So you breathe in. Um, and among the various things coming into your body when you're breathing in is O2. And that's oxygen. That's the stuff that our body needs. Um, and that's the oxygen molecule that we then take in and we and it interacts inside our body with uh, glucose. And uh, glucose is apparently C6H12O6, which I didn't know and you won't remember either after... Uh, this podcast is over, uh, but the the chemical reaction between our oxygen molecule and our glucose uh, produces CO2 or carbon, uh, adds a carbon to that molecule, and that's what we breathe out. And so um, that chemical reaction happens all the time, and that's what keeps us alive. I'll see your rest. Oh, sorry. Now go ahead. 
I was going to say, I'll see your respiration and raise you a photosynthesis. This is kind of the opposite. This is when plants take in the um, take in carbon dioxide and using energy from sunlight um, and water, they uh, produce energy or they 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 um, produce their cellular energy and release oxygen. And so this is part of I suppose these two would be could be put together in a in a oxygen cycle, right? The oxygen we breathe it in and incorporate it and breathe out the carbon dioxide and then plants take in the carbon dioxide and use it and incorporate it and put out the oxygen. And so it's, you know, the circle of life. Uh, incidentally, um, before the rise of um, respiration, well, the, the first uh, creatures to um, to breathe in oxygen and, and produce carbon dioxide apparently caused a mass die off, you know, billions of years ago on the earth um, because they changed the, the composition of the, of the um, atmosphere over time. Another kind of interesting to think about, but um, now we've got a nice balance, I guess, as long as we don't like throw it off by, you know, taking all the carbon and dumping it back into the atmosphere. So, yes, that might be problematic. Maybe Who would should, do that, Tim? Uh, Who would do yeah, that? No, nobody. Um, well, I, I did today, actually. Sorry. Uh, yes. Okay. Um, I was going to wrap up with uh, one last one, unless you have another one, Tim. Uh, go for it. Oh, all right. So this one's chlorinated water, right? So this is your swimming pool. Um, to some degree, you're drinking water, though hopefully to a small extent. Um, and this is chlorine is a chemical um, that we pour into our swimming pools or dump into our swimming pools and our drinking water to a small extent to kill bacteria and viruses. And chlorine, so it says chlorine solution you pour into water breaks down into many different chemicals, including hypochlorous acid. And a hypochlorite ion both kill microorganisms and bacteria by attacking the lipids in the cell walls and destroying the enzymes and structures inside the cell. And they do this, um, it's an oxidation thing, and and as they get oxidized, the bacteria and enzymes die. So, um, the uh, that's how the chlorine. Gets in, so it creates this hydro, uh, hypochlorous acid, which is a neutral, and the bacteria is trying to fight away charged particles. And so because this is a neutral particle, it gets inside the cell, but it still has the chemical structure to go and attack these proteins that hold the bacteria together and, uh, and then neutralizes them. So thank you, chlorine. Good job. Luckily, you're not a monocellular organism, so... It doesn't have as oh, have negative an impact on you. Yes, it does have an impact on um, my skin and hair. And generally, it, does, it, it interacts with your skin to some extent. Well, I mean, there's a reason you don't drink super chlorinated stuff, because it will do the simil uh, similar, have similar effects on your own biology. But... Uh, are we're more resistant and, and we have various layers of epidermis. So uh, 
we're generally okay. Um, yeah, don't drink. Anyway, don't, okay. Don't drink pool water. <laughs> Biggest takeaway. Don't drink pool water. <laughs> There's other That's reasons you, you shouldn't drink pool water, too. That are We'll maybe... have a different podcast. Oh, we already did, where we talked about, uh, Johnny talked about body functions. So. <laughs> Touche. Dr. Johnny, yes. Okay, well, thank you, Tim. Good job. Um, I now feel like I know something. I feel like I understand more what I don't know about chemistry. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, unlearn it from a layman. So, That's right. <laughs> uh, um, okay. Well, let's check out real quick with our, um, our what are you, our listeners. Are, are, so we're um doing well once again i've mentioned uh northern canada really doesn't tune in much but the, the northern territories did tune in this last month to our i think our insurance podcast um Ooh. yeah so apparently they need to be insured against icicles makes sense it's a dangerous place up there. glaciers um who knows <laughs> I mean, what can attack you uh, an elk a rogue bears moose. bears Bears, I, there bears. we go. Yep. Let's bring it all the way, all the way back around. So. <laughs> right. Anyway, we thank everyone for listening. Hopefully, this is helpful, and we'll be back again soon. Thanks.